Good evening to everyone. Good to see you here. Glad that you came out to worship with us. And as always, we hope that our time uh, together is beneficial. Um, I don't know about you, but there's been times over my Christian life where um, be in Bible class or, or listen to a lesson and hear uh, a story about uh, some great Bible character, some hero, if you will. And um, I don't know about you, but when I hear those stories, I, I believe them. Uh, but sometimes it's just hard for me to connect to them. Uh, and the reason is because uh, it almost seems out of reach. It seems a little bit distant. You know, when you hear these these great lessons on these individuals, and you hear some of the things that they've done, it kind of makes me think, well, I'll never achieve that. You know, I'll never amount to anything like that. You know, you hear, hear stories of, of David, you know, fighting Goliath and beating Goliath. Um, Moses, uh, parting the Red Sea, facing Pharaoh, leading the children of Israel, all the things that he did. Uh, You've you got individuals such as Noah, you know, look at Noah, what he did, all the challenges that he faced. Uh, you've got Samson and his strength. You've got Solomon and his wisdom. Uh, you've got Paul and his boldness and his intellect. You've got um, Peter, his charisma, his, his, his boldness that he has. Stephen's boldness, you know, able to stand up and, and, and be stoned for what you believe in. You know, you, you've got all of these characters and you see them, and, and, and I hear, and I read, and I study about them, and I think, well, I believe that. I, I know that's true. I, I know those individuals accomplished that. But sometimes I feel like that just can't relate to me because I'm not going to be able to do that. God's not going to be able to use me in that way. I'm not that kind of hero. Um, sometimes I just want to say, you know, you know, come on, God, give me someone real. Sometimes, give me, give me, let me study someone that Charlton Heston hadn't, hadn't portrayed a character of or something, you know. Uh, give me somebody that, that I can relate to. Someone that you look at and you would say, well, that's not a hero. But when you start looking at some of these individuals, you'll see that they really weren't heroes to begin with. We're going to talk about one tonight that when you first hear about him, you start thinking of the story and you think, yeah, that was a hero. But when you start really looking at the story, you'll see, well, maybe he, wasn't, uh, maybe he wasn't a hero to begin with. And see, I, th I think these, when we see these characters, I think when we see these individuals and the things that they went through, when we really look deep into their story, when we look at exactly who they were, we realize who the true hero is, and that's God. It's God that was working through them. It was God that was accompanying them. It was God that was strengthening them. It was God that gave them the task that, that they were to face. It was God behind them. And when we start looking at it in terms of that, then we can start kind of relating more to it. Well, tonight I want us to look at a Bible character by the name of Gideon. And when you think of Gideon, I, I don't want to really look at the stories that we normally hear about of, of the battles and the things that he did. I want to kind of back that story up um, just a little bit. But I want us to look first at uh, uh, Judges chapter 6, uh, verse 11. Let's look where we're introduced to, to Gideon. 
It says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joaz the Abirezerite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress uh, in order to hide it from uh, the Midianites. So we see, first of all, when we meet Gideon, before we start into his story, let, let's back up just a little bit. Let, let's back up and kind of see what led to the situation, led to the angel of the Lord coming to Gideon. When we look at Gideon, if we go, go back, remember, God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. Okay, they cried out to him. They were under oppression. They, the taskmasters were so rough on them, and so God brings them out of Egypt. Uh, uh, then he parts the Red Sea. They, they go through there. They, they're spending 40 years in the wilderness, and God had promised them this land of Canaan, all the way back to Abraham. He promised them this. They had to do their wandering for 40 years. Then Joshua led them into the land of Canaan. And what God said, he said, I'm going to go before you. You're going to go in and you're going to drive out these individuals. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to strengthen you. I'm going to be behind you. I'm going to be before you. People are going to know that there's a difference between you and them, and that difference is me. So it wasn't about God just bringing them into a land. It was about God bringing them into a land and, and them being a distinctive people. It wasn't just about the land. It was about the nation. It was about them being distinct from everyone else. So they go in and they won these battles. Uh, Joshua won uh, many victories. And, and you see all that took place. And things were going well. But because things are going well, they started to be at ease. And when they became at ease, they started to lose their distinctiveness, didn't they? They started to start being like everyone else. You know, they, they, they started doing something different. We, in our, our teenage class this morning, we were talking about different things that, that you face when you're trying to live in this present world. And one of the problems is that we just don't feel like we fit in, don't feel like we belong. But if you go read uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, as he calls them sojourners in exile, guess what? We're not supposed to belong. <laughs> we're, not, we're not supposed to fit in, are we? That's the problem. We want to, but we're not supposed to because this world's not our home. Well, the children of Israel, they, they started to fit in. They started to be at ease. They started, like I say, they started to lose their distinctiveness. And in doing that, they started disobeying God. So as they disobey God, then what happens? All through the book of Judges, you see where they disobey God, then they cry out to God. God brings them a deliverer. He delivers them. Things are good for a little while, not quite as good as they were the first time, but they keep going through this cycle over and over again. And they're in the middle of this cycle when you see this, when, when Gideon uh, is approached here. So notice what it says here at the beginning. It says, now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree. And notice it says what Gideon was doing here. He was threshing wheat in the wine press in order to hide it from the Midianites. Now there, there, there are several things here. We, we know this history now. We know where, where uh, 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 Israel is. We know what this distinctive nation was supposed to be. But now you've got an individual that's part of that group that he's hiding in a wine press, threshing wheat because of the Midianites. 
So see, they've got the enemies all around them here, and the Midianites is part of this, and they're afraid because the Midianites are going to come in and, and take everything they have. If you look back in chapter uh, 6 at verse 1, starting at verse 1, notice what it says about, uh, uh, about this situation. It says, Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, so the Lord delivered them into the hands of Midian for seven years. Now let's, let's stop here just for a minute. It says, And the hand of Midians prevailed against Israel. When we think about God... When we think about all the scriptures that say God is going to fight for us, God is going to go before us, He's our warrior for us. Matter of fact, that's what He told Israel, wasn't it? He told them, I'm going to go before you into the land, drive out these individuals. Well, what's happened? Now you see God is the one that delivered them into the hands of the Midians, of the Midianites here. God is the one who sent them. So God is the one who is bringing the Midians in, Midianites in, to oppress them. We don't ever think of it in that way, do we? Because you know what God says? He said, I'm going to be with you as long as you are serving me. But if you start disobeying me, guess what? It's going to be different. Then the oppression is going to come, and it may be from God. God uh, John had the lesson this morning about God bringing different natural disasters, and, and part of those natural disasters was to call people to repentance because of sin, to chastise them. Why? Because they wouldn't follow him. So now you've got the Midianites against uh, uh, Israel. He'll got them kind of surrounded, and they're, they're having to, as Gideon is here, they're having to hide to do things. Let's go a little bit farther. It says, uh, And the hand of the Midians prevailed against Israel because of the Midianites. The children of Israel made for themselves the dens, the caves and the strongholds, which are in the mountains. So it was, whenever Israel had sown, Midianites would come up, also Amalekites, and the people of the east would come up against them. Let's move on to the next verse. It says, Then they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor donkey, for they would come up with their livestock and their tents, coming in as numerous as locusts. Both they and their camels were without number, and they would enter the land to destroy it. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. You see what's took place? They're, they're having to hide out because of the Midianites. They're having to hide out. Gideon here is having to be in this wine press threshing wheat because of the Midianites because he's having to hide out. Let's go back to uh, verse 11 for a moment of, of Judges 6. It says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terror of the tree, which was in Ophrah, and says, While his son threshed wheat in the wine press in order to hide it from the Midianites. Let's think about this for just a minute. We know the history. We know where they're at. He's in this. Now, I don't know a lot about, well, I didn't know anything about threshing wheat. I've never had to do that. I don't know anything about a wine press. So I, I looked this up. I looked at different pictures. I looked at different definitions. I looked at different explanations. A threshing floor was this hard surface, usually this big rock that they got, and they most of the time put them up on a hill and they would bring oxen or, or, or donkeys or horses sometimes, and they'd pull these big planks over, uh, uh, around and around, over their, uh, all of this wheat that they put down to separate the chaff and the husk from the wheat. Then they'd take their pitchforks, they'd throw it up there, and the wind would do the separating. 
That was the whole purpose of a, fleshing, uh, a threshing floor. So you needed the wind, you needed an open area, you needed this kind of place to be able to do it effectively and expediently. Now, a wine press at this time was usually dug down into a hole. They, they'd dig it down, make a big hole, and then they'd make it, and that's where they pour it in to start crushing their, uh, uh, their grapes. So Gideon is down in this hole threshing wheat. He's not up on a hill, and it tells us why uh, here in order to hide it from the Midianites. Because remember, what they would do, they would come in and they would plunder everything that they would do. So he would, he'd have to hide what he's doing here. And this can't be very effective. It can't be very expedient. And it can't be very easy. Matter of fact, it said sometimes they had to use things that they'd make like mallets and just get down on their hands and knees and beat it. That, that's probably what he was having to do because of where it was. Why is he down in this hole doing this? Was he afraid? Was he afraid they were going to come in and steal it? That's what the Bible says. That they had to hide out. They made themselves caves. They made these stuff. So here you have the, 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 the group of individuals, children of Israel, that God brought out of Egypt, and they're hiding in this land that he promised them. Do you think that's what God intended for them to do? Do you think God said, I'm going to bring you out of Egypt, I'm going to bring you out of oppression so you could go in this great land of plenty and hide in a cave and go down in a hole and do your threshing? That's not where he wanted them. Why were they down in there? Because of what they were doing. Now they're being oppressed because of it. They're not in the right relationship with God. How do you think Gideon feels about this? You know, I, I was thinking a lot about this while I was thinking about this lesson. He's down in this hole. Don't you think he'd rather be up on a hill using animals to do this, most of the work? Free, living off the land, living free, doing what God wanted them to do, and enjoying an abundant life that God had promised them? Don't you think that's what he would rather be doing? But he's down in this hole threshing wheat. Now let's bring this to today. Are we doing the same thing? You know, sometimes we can get ourselves in such a situation sometimes to where maybe we, and, and maybe Gideon did have fear. Maybe he was afraid. You know, the Bible doesn't use the word afraid, but it says they were hiding in hills and caves and they would hide their things so they wouldn't come in and, and, and pillage them. So I, I assume being afraid is a big part of that. And, and fear will make you do some things that doesn't really make sense, doesn't it? You know, does it make sense that you'd say, hey, I need to thresh some wheat. I think I'll go down this hole and do it. That seemed like an obvious thing to do. Well, of course not. But fear will make you do things that doesn't make sense. Fear will cause you to, to do things and keep doing things to where in your mind you think there's no other way to do it. You start thinking this is the only way that life is. Life isn't any different. And I think they got to that point to where, you know, they're used to hiding out in caves. They're used to doing this uh, uh, like this. But again, that's not what God intended for them to do. He didn't send them to the promised land to hide out. You think he, drove, he, he brought them out of Egypt for that? But they felt like that. And I think we can feel the same way sometimes. We can get ourselves into a, a state of fear sometimes as Christians because... Okay, things aren't going so well. Things aren't, aren't, aren't happening like it should or we get ourselves in situations because of disobedience.
and we find ourselves in a hole, and we don't think there's any way out of it either. We don't, we don't think anything's going to be any different, that that's just the way that it's going to be. Well, let's look at verse 12 now. It says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Do you think he felt like a mighty man of valor? He's hiding in a wine press dressing wheat. I don't think he thought of himself. Matter of fact, I know he didn't think of himself as a mighty man of valor. Go just a little bit further, verse 13. Gideon said to him, O oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which uh, our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. One, he don't feel very strong here. But two, he don't feel like God's with him. He said, okay, if the Lord is with me, if you think this is, this is uh, uh, who I am, you think this is what I'm about, where's the Lord at? Why am I down in this hole? Why is all this happening? Where's all these stories that our fathers told us about? I don't see none of this. And you say, God's with me? How can God be with me? Look at everything that's going around. I'm in this hole, threshing wheat. How can you say God's with me? Now here's the problem. What happens is, and we do the same thing, right? I, I, I should say I do the same thing. Maybe you do the same thing. We sometimes look at our theology, I guess is a good way to put it, through our circumstances, instead of looking at our circumstances in the context of our theology. In other words, in the context of what we believe. Because when we don't do that, what happens is I start looking at my circumstance, then I change what I believe because of my circumstance. Is that what's happened to Gideon here? Gideon said, oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then are all this happening to us? He's looking at his circumstance and he's saying, God's not with us and here's my proof. Look at everything around. This wouldn't be happening if God was with us. Is that true? Well, of course not. God's with them. God's still a part of their life. He knows what's going on. See, we don't think of it again based on our obedience and disobedience. We think of God fighting for us. We never think of this oppression that comes because of the sin that we're in. But again, we look at our circumstance and we try to make our, we, we let our circumstance change what we believe. Well, I once believed this, but now I'm starting to look at my circumstance and start saying, we see this all the time, don't you? People believe a certain thing, they stand firm on a certain thing, and then certain circumstances occur, and because of those circumstances, they start changing what they believe. They start looking around and say, well, maybe it's this way, or, or, or maybe it's that way. And we start seeing these things. And then what happens is, then everything that we believe changed. So all these stories that, all these miracles which their fathers told them about, uh, he's starting to question that. Okay, I hear all these stories about the miracles happening in Egypt. I'm not seeing any right now. I'm, I'm not seeing this happening to me. I hear what's happening. Have, have you ever thought about that? We can read all of these things in Scripture, all of these things that happen, and we can say, I believe every word of it. 
And then circumstances start getting us down. We start feeling like we're not worthy. We start feeling like we're in a hole. We start feeling like we're afraid because all the world around us is changing. And it feels like everyone is against us. And it don't feel like we can see God. That's what Job said. Job said, I look forward, he's not there. I look backwards, he's not there. I can't even perceive him, he said. Sometimes we can get feeling like that. And that's what Gideon is feeling like here. He's saying, well, well, where is all of this? If this is the case, look at verse 14. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in uh, this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? Now look at verse 15. So he said to him, O my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. So he's got a couple things that's going against him here. One is, he's afraid. He's down in this hole. He's doing things that don't make sense, but out of necessity, he has to do because of the situation they're in in their life right now. And he's got someone to him now that says they're an angel of the Lord, or appears to be. He's still trying to figure that out at the moment. And they're saying, oh, you mighty warrior, oh, you man of valor, uh, valor. oh, you uh, worthy man. He said, one, I don't see God around. And two, don't you know who I am? Our clan is the weakest, and then I'm the weakest of my father's house. So you have came to the weakest of the weakest. Not a hero, not a man of, uh, mighty man of valor, not a warrior, you came to the weakest one. And he says, I, I don't know about this. But think about this. This is the point, because we can start thinking of ourselves like this. We, we start seeing that, okay, I, I'm a child of God, I'm a Christian, I, I'm supposed to be working for God, I'm supposed to be doing things for God. And, uh, but guess what? I'm not worthy to. I'm not able to. Because... I'm weak. I, I'm not this mighty, mighty Christian. I, I can't do things like I read about those individuals in the Bible. I can't do things like I see individuals at church. I don't have the ability to do this. I don't have the ability to do that. I don't have the knowledge for that. And we start picking out all these things. I'm the weakest one of the bunch. So I can't do anything. But see, again, that's the point. The point is... That's who God goes for. That's who God wants. Because guess what? Then, if we start counting on our riches, if we start counting on our abilities, then we're not counting on God's, are we? Then then it's not about God anymore. It's about us. Here's what I bring to the table. Here's what I'm able to do. I'm the best. Remember when... uh, uh, when the prophet comes to Jesse's house and going to pick out a king, he showboats all the big, the big hero brothers first, doesn't he? Nope, that's not who he wants. He wants that little one over here, the smallest one, the youngest one. He wants what the, the world will look at and say, well, that's not a king. Well, that's what God wants. Now, and here's why, because any ability that I have, any talent that I have, any riches that I have comes from him anyway. It's God that's going to get the glory. So if, if I'm coming with all of my abilities, and you know, just think about becoming a Christian and just having that conversation. God, I'm going to become a Christian, and here's why you want me. You want me because I'm, I, I'm all of these things. I'm, I'm strong, I'm rich, I'm 
I'm brave, I'm, I'm fearless, I'm, I'm all of these things. That's not how we come to God. We come to God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Isn't that how we come to Him? Jesus said, you're condemned already. You're already in darkness. I came to seek and save the lost. I came to seek those who need me. And He said, the whole world's in darkness. You're condemned already. I came to save. I can't, I can't be saved on my own ability. I can't be saved on my own righteousness. So here, Gideon has a logical, reasonable point based on his point of view. One is, he can't see the evidence of God around. And two, he's not a mighty man of valor. He's not somebody that you would look at and say, yep, there's our hero. No, he's just an everyday Joe like we are, isn't he? Hiding in a wine press because we're scared to come out into the world. And I think that's what God is looking for. Look in verse 16. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. So he's telling Gideon, it's not about your ability. It's not about what you're able to do. It's about what I'm able to do. Remember all the excuses that Moses gave? God didn't care what those excuses was. God already knew that. He said, you're going to go because I know what your abilities are, and I'm going with you. You know, you're not, you're not going by yourself. I'm going with you. And we can see later in the story what most people usually preach about. Remember him taking the 300 and going and defeating the Midianites with a, a, a trumpet, a torch, and just a pot. He's one of having a pot. But you know what happened before that? God told him to send 22,000 home. That left 10,000. Then he went through the whole thing about going down to the water and who, who gets down and laps with her tongue like a dog or whoever gets down and, and laps out of their hand. And he said, I'll tell you who to send home or I'll tell you who to keep. Out of that 10,000, he just kept 300. You know why God did that? Because it wasn't about their power. And God even told him that when he told him to send the 22,000 home. If you go to chapter 7, he said, because I, they will glory over me. It won't become about me anymore. It'll become about those 22,000 that's there to fight. It's about their abilities, what they're able to do. God says, send them home. It's not about them. It's about God. It's about His strength. It's about His people that He's sending to the promised land not to hide out in caves or be down in a wine press. To be a distinctive nation set apart from the world glorifying God. It's not about hiding it. It's about glorifying Him. So when I, I, I think about Gideon, and I tell you, I, I meant to do about the 300. I, I, I love that story. But the more I got to looking at, after I talked to Titus and Titus being sick, after I got to looking about, I didn't get past the chapter 6. I kept looking at that and thinking, there's things about this that just don't seem right to me. You know, you think about all that God did. And I started feeling guilty myself. I started looking at my own life. You know, you think about what God did for these people, bringing them out of Egypt, and where at this point in time, where they are. How did they go from that glorious exodus to going to the promised land to hide out? Sin. Getting away from God. Being too lax. You know, I think that's what we can do. We can be too lax in our Christianity. We can lose our distinctiveness and we become like everybody else, and we forget that we don't belong here. 
This world is not our home. We're, we're going to our promised land. That's where we're striving to go. That's what we're wanting to do. And we have to be a distinctive people to be able to do that. Go to 1 Peter 2 and start reading that, about verses 11 and 12 there. You know, you'll see where Peter is talking about you sojourners. You, do, you, you put off these fleshly desires. Why? So when the wicked, when the evil talk, world talks evil of you, basically you're going to prove them wrong with how you live your life. You know, how, how do you think it looks for the world to look at us and say, hey, they're supposed to be Christian, but look, they're hiding out over there. They're afraid to stand up. They're afraid to be distinctive. They're afraid to be different. They're hiding out in their holes, in their caves. Instead, what do we do? We hide out in our church buildings. We hide out in our houses. We hide out in our own little group because we see what's going on in the world and it makes us afraid. It makes us wonder what's, what's the difference. And that's exactly, just like 2 Peter is talking about to me, that's exactly what's going on in the world today because they'll start slandering and they'll take what what we're doing, and they speak evil against, against it. That's what you see with the divide of the nation today. You see those that standing up for truth, standing up for what's right, trying to stand up for what God's want, and those on the other side are looking and saying, look at those evildoers, those troublemakers. So what happens? When that happens, we start hiding back. We get in our wine presses. We get in our caves. That, that's what was going on with the children of Israel. That's what's going on at the time of Gideon. But one thing that's interesting to me, in that dark time, guess who's still there? God. And he goes to Gideon and says, you mighty man of valor, go against this nation. And you can take it. Why? Because God has given it to him. God told him, into your hand I give you. Just like he told Joshua with the walls of Jericho, into your hands I give you this city. Because when we follow God, see, Guess what? When we're following God, that means God's going before us, doesn't it? That means He's clearing the path. He's clearing the way. I'm following Him, so He goes before me fighting my enemies. He's going before me fighting those trials. It's not about my abilities. It's not about my gifts. It's not about my talent. It's not about my riches. It's about His. So I think Gideon's greatest battle wasn't the 300 that he took to fight all these battles that he started fighting. I think his battle was in his heart. I think his battle was in his mind to where he had to come to a realization that it's about God, not about them. Because Gideon's own household wasn't what they should be. They worshipped idols. You know, you, you look at what, uh, what had to happen, and I like that process because it almost makes me think, why did God put up with this? You know, Gideon was like, if it's really you, he starts putting God through some hoops, really. You know, if it's really you, first he starts out with the sacrifice there that uh, uh, the angel of the Lord consumed there on the rock. But he, he starts talking to him and says, Okay, God, listen, if this is really you, and he started using the fleece. Okay, one time the fleece has got to be wet, everything else dry. The next time everything else got to be dry, it's got to be wet. You know, he starts putting God. And instead of the angel of the Lord saying, Listen, you're going to either believe me or not. Instead of chastising him for it, he just keeps telling him. The Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you. Think about the patience of the Lord. How many times do we say, Lord, if you're really with me, okay, he's here. 
You know, I, I, I think about that, and I think about the conversation Abraham with God. Well, what if I find this many, God? What about this many and this many? And God keeps saying, okay, yeah, yeah. Think of the patience and the long-suffering that God has. He had it with Gideon, and look what Gideon was able to accomplish. Look at verse 24. I think this is, this is pretty cool. So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is peace to this day, and is still in Oprah. So think about it. This, where he was at with this wine press there, where he was at, could have been his darkest moment, because he's having to hide out and do this work. He builds an altar to the Lord because in his darkest moment, that's where the Lord was, right there with him. And we can still think the same way. We can, we can look at our own lives and we can think, I just don't think I can do it. I, I look around, I see how this world's going, I see how my life's going, and I, I just don't see God in this. Is God calling us a mighty man of valor, no matter who we are? Telling us this is what you're able to do. It's time to get out of your hole. It's time to get out of your hole and be what God wants you to be. He said, I, I've laid it all out for you. I've, I've, I've gone before you, but you have to do it. You have to have the courage to get up and do it and trust him that it can be done. You know, that's why he had to send Midian and his, uh, Midian. Gideon and his servant member down to the camp. He said, go, just go down there and listen to him." And he went down there and listened to him, and he listened to the dream and the interpretation of the dream of, of what they said it meant, and that gave him courage. God was getting patient with him and giving chance after chance to say, Yes, I'm with you, Gideon. You can do this. I mean, God done everything for him but just go down there and wipe him out himself. But he did. And look how it turned out. So maybe tonight it's time for us, maybe we realize we're a Gideon and we're in a hole. We're doing things that don't make sense but think that that's the only way we can do them. But we need to be the Gideon that God sees not the Gideon that he's seen in himself. So if you're here tonight and maybe you struggle like he did, maybe you struggle, you find yourself doing things that don't make sense, doing things because you're afraid, doing things because you're frustrated, doing things because you're looking out in the world and you think there's no other way to do it. Well, the way to do it is exactly like God says. It works. It'll continue to work. It may not be easy, but it's profitable. It's profitable because we'll realize that this world is not our home. Eternity is. And we want to spend eternity with God.